0: have your Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Jesse. I'm our pastor of Adult Discipleship and Life Groups, and I'm glad to be here with you on this last day of 2023. Some of you are thinking, praise the Lord, that's over. Some of you are sad that it's over. But nonetheless, as we get to the end of the year and this last day, it's kind of a reflective time for a lot of us. It causes us to think back over the past year, the things that we thought we would accomplish, the things that we thought would be great, and to think, oh, well, maybe that didn't go exactly as planned, but the Lord had other plans, and those were just as good. But sometimes those are, there are really hard things that we walk through. And as we think forward to 2024, the next year, we wonder, what's going to change is there going to be anything that's different about the new year? And maybe you've started making some of those decisions now. I don't know if you still do resolutions. I stopped doing those a long time ago because I get to like the second or third week and they're just shot. But if you still do that, maybe you're, you're thinking about how can I frame this differently so that 2024 will be different than 2023? We think about the past and the future, and as we think about the future... The reality is there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot of things coming our way this next year that we have no earthly idea how to determine. There's some wisdom in Jesus' words that whenever he tells us to don't worry about tomorrow, today has enough worry of its own, right? And by worrying how can you add one hour to your life, you can't. But as we think about the future and the change that is inevitably coming, the unknown, today I want to remind you and to anchor you in one constant thing that never changes, and that's Jesus himself. So as we look at Revelation chapter 1, this is what I want us to walk away with. No matter what is behind you or what is before you, Jesus is still reigning over you. No matter what is behind you or what is before you, Jesus is still reigning over you. Now, if you will, look with me in verse 9, and we'll read down through uh, verse 18. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You see, the book of Revelation, whenever we get to this last day of the year and the last book of the Bible, we think about all the things that are coming in the future. We typically think about Revelation, about detailing specific events, or we hope, we're hoping for a calendar and all that. Well, there's some of that in Revelation, What Revelation's main purpose is, is to give us a glimpse into what is really going on in the world between Jesus' reign and ascension until his return. To give us a glimpse of the world from heaven's perspective. That's why we have so much imagery of the lampstands and, and the Son of Man and the defeat of the dragon and the beast and all of these things. It's heaven's perspective about what is unfolding between Jesus' reign and his return. And as, as we look here, we have this beautiful and imposing vision of Christ. And I would submit to you today that what you need more than a list of resolutions, a list of things to change or things to do as you enter into 2024, is that you need a fresh, revitalized vision of this Jesus who now reigns over you. So, I want to give you four things about Christ from this text to take with you into tomorrow. First, Jesus' presence should comfort you. Jesus' presence should comfort you. In verse 9, John introduces himself. Which John is this? This is John, the beloved disciple of Jesus. This is the one who... Remember whenever Peter and and John were running toward the the empty tomb, and John nicely puts in there that he beat Peter there first? This is that John. This is the John of James and John. This is the John who leaned his head on Jesus' chest as they reclined at table. The disciple, he, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we can learn a lot about that description, because we could all say the same thing. But this is this John, and he's writing around the time of 90 to 96 AD under the reign of Emperor Domitian in Rome. It was a time of persecution of Christians, and John ministered in the provinces of Asia around these seven churches that he's supposed to write these letters to. So where was he? He says he was on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day. So he had been sent into exile out of the the Ephesian and Asian area to this island. Not very big. Not very big at all. It's like 13 square miles, something like that. He's sent there because he failed, in their minds, to worship the emperor. In ancient Rome, there was an imperial cult where they would have to declare, Caesar is Lord. Well, as we know, there is only one of those, and his name is Jesus. So John has been sent to exile. He says he was there on the Lord's Day. That's a Sunday, right? We now worship Christ on Sunday because that's when he rose from the dead. And he says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he heard a voice behind him. I think it's significant that before he sees anything, he hears. You might remember the words of Jesus, My sheep know my voice, and they listen to me. And he hears a voice speaking to him. And it tells him to write this down, write what he's about to see down to these seven churches. Now, the number seven is important because it's the number of completeness. This message that's going to come through the book of Revelation is not just for one church or two churches or even just seven, but for all of the churches of Christ that will exist for all of eternity. This message is just as much for you today as it is and was for them. So what did John see? Look down with me in verse 12. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest." So first, his eyes see these seven golden lampstands. We don't have to wonder what these are because the Bible, in just a few verses later, actually tells us that these seven lampstands are the seven churches to whom John will be writing. That the lampstand imagery is supposed to represent the church, the body of Christ, in these specific locations. Now, it's also Old Testament imagery. There was a lampstand in the tabernacle, in the, in the holy place, that gave light so that the priest could do his work, so that the priest could continue with the sacrifices. And the priest would tend to the lamp to make sure there was enough oil to keep it lit. So as he sees, this is, this is the churches. This is who we are. We are lampstands in this world as a church that give light the light of Christ notice he doesn't say that they were the light he says they were the lampstand the fire comes from somewhere else the light comes from somewhere else Jesus himself is the light of the world so he sees these lampstands and then at the center of them he sees one like a son of man walking amidst the lampstands and he's dressed very interestingly in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. This is the attire of priests and kings. This one like a son of man, I want you to notice, this, he's, he's doing his best to describe to us who he's seeing. He's not quite made the connection yet. He says this, this one who's walking among his churches, who's present with his churches, is one like a son of man. And that title is very significant. It's mentioned in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7 to refer to the king who would come, who would reign. And this king and this priest is present with his churches. Why is that important? Because if you remember, these churches were going through persecution. They were going through uncertain times and uncertain days. They didn't know what the future held for them. John is in exile on Patmos, not knowing what tomorrow might hold. And as the curtain is peeled back, He sees Jesus' presence tending among his people. He's walking, caring, loving, convicting his people to support them and to encourage them through what they face. See, Jesus is with you, and his presence should comfort you. See, Jesus is with you in your hardship that results from the gospel. Notice, I want you at the beginning, John says, I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Christ. I want you to notice something. All of those three things are connected by the, the, the word and. They are a package deal. It's like if you were to invite my family or invite me over to your house for, for dinner, you're getting six people. It's just going to happen, so just be careful. We'd love to come have dinner with you, but that's, you're getting the whole package. Tribulation, patient endurance, and kingdom. These things come together. And we typically think tribulation is something far in the future, but if you were to talk to brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, they would tell you something different. Just last week, um, believers in Nigeria and the Plateau State were killed. Some are are fearful and fearing for their lives now. This tribulation comes with the kingdom and comes with this patient endurance that are in Christ. Do you remember the words of Christ in John? In this world, you will have trouble, right? If we are following Jesus in this world, we will have trouble. We should expect the next year to have trouble. He tips us off to that. But there's also participation in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are provided for us in Christ. Jesus is with you in your hardship resulting from the gospel. That is why John is in exile, on account of the witness and the testimony of Christ Jesus. He's experienced pushback because of his faith and because of his work for the gospel. Have you ever experienced that? I'm not saying, have you experienced pushback because you've made a bad decision... Or because you've done something that was not wise. And you're a Christian. I'm saying, have you experienced pushback because of your faith? Because of the testimony of Christ? At one time or another, you probably will if you haven't. But he says here, there is a patient endurance that is also in Christ. To help us persevere. In 2 Timothy 2.12, part of this, this hymn states... If we endure with him, if we endure, we will reign with him. Continue to endure. Christ is with you in your hardship that results from the gospel. And Jesus is also with you in your hard work for the gospel. In your hard work for the gospel. See, John's ministry, in his ministry, he's been faithful to Jesus. He's been faithful to serve the churches in the role to which he had been called. But remember, he's in this imperial cult, and in the middle of his Hard work, he's, he's experiencing hardship, and he's still pushing ahead. He's still doing what he can to serve. And I wonder if, if many of us might not experience, we may know of it, if we might not experience this, this level of the presence of Christ as we work hard for the gospel. There are many of you who serve faithfully week in and week out. You serve in the community, you serve the church, you lead a life group, you pour your lives into other people, you incur sacrifices because of the gospel. You do hard work for the gospel, and you know that Christ is with you. But many of us may not know this, may not experience this presence because we won't give up our comfort. Comfort can masquerade as the presence and blessing of God when we're comfortable incurring no sacrifice for serving Jesus, living our nice, neat, manageable lives, I don't think we should expect to feel and experience the closeness and comfort that Christ gives to those who labor for him as his servants and witnesses. So in the new year, if you resolve anything, resolve to serve Christ and his church. Find an area of service and put your hand to the plow. Disciple others, invest in their lives, do good work in our community. The good works that you were created to walk in, as Ephesians 2.10 says, that were prepared for you beforehand. Resolve to walk as a follower of Christ who serves him and advances his gospel. So Jesus, is, his, his presence should comfort you. That he is with you as you work hard and as you experience hardship in the next year. Next, Jesus' power should revitalize you. Look with me in verses 14 and 15. Jesus' power should revitalize you. He says, The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. His, this picture of Christ's power now should stir your heart and revitalize you. Let's walk through these. He says his hair was like wool and white like, like snow. This is a picture of the Ancient of Days from Daniel chapter 7. Where he says, and as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. What is this signifying? The wisdom and the purity and the sovereignty and the all-knowing nature of who Christ is. And if he knows all and he's all-wise, he knows you and what you're going through. He has eyes like a flame of fire. His judgment is precise and clear. He sees all. The Bible says that the Lord's eyes wander to and fro across the earth. He knows and he sees you. And his feet are like burnished bronze, as refined by fire. Contrary to the empires of the world in Daniel chapter 7, they had... The statue had feet of iron and clay mixed together. Unstable. My friends, that is a picture of every worldly government and system instituted today. It is unstable, unstable for placing your hope, unstable for trusting in. But Christ's feet are like purified and burnished bronze. Stable and steady and unshakable, and his kingdom will not end. Listen to Daniel 7. And behold, the clouds of heaven there. With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that should not be destroyed. For believers, then, who feared the government, the Roman government, the imperial government, this is a picture that Christ is above even that. They have no power that Christ has not granted and no power that Christ cannot squash. He says, in his right hand he held the seven stars these are the angels or the messengers of the churches. But it also might have been a, a reference to the seven planets that they knew of in the ancient world. They, they saw them as great, great stars or great lights. They thought there was something magical about these, these planets and all these things. And there were astrologists then just like there are now. And just to put it as kindly as I can, don't mess with that stuff. Jesus reigns. No, nothing in creation is determinative of your life other than your creator and the one through whom he created you, the son of God. There is no star alignment in the sky that means you're going to be a certain way. There is no rock in the ground that has some magical powers to heal you. Christ is over all, and he holds all power. From his mouth came a two-edged sword, the sword of a warrior with which he will defend his people. He walks among his churches ready for war, ready to fight, ready to defend. And then lastly, and my favorite, his face was was like the sun shining in full strength. You might remember in the Old Testament, Moses encountered the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai, and he descended, and his face was shining bright, so much so that he had to cover it. But there's also, in number six, the priestly blessing. The Lord bless you, and keep you, and make his face shine on you. And as John sees Jesus in all of his glory and splendor, He sees his face shining, the face of favor and blessing on his people. I want you to notice the movement. It's like John started here, seeing Jesus. He went down to his feet and back up again. He's looked Jesus head to toe and back again. And he's, he's beginning to realize that this is the very same Jesus that walked the earth, was crucified and resurrected, but he does not exist in a humbled estate any longer. He exists in pure glory. He is exalted as priest and king who reigns today. These Old Testament descriptions show us that Jesus is just as much God as the Father. He is co-equal with God the Father. Now, why would John want us to, to spend time talking about this? Why would Jesus tell John to record this, what he sees, for the churches then and for us today? There are several reasons. To wake us up from our dead religion. To encourage us to remain faithful. To steal our nerves in the, faith, in the face of compromise. To strengthen us as we follow his lead and go where he sends us and serve him. To remind us that our Savior is alive and well, tending to our lives. In a world immersed in darkness, there is at the end the shining face of Christ, the face of blessing over his people. This revitalizing face of Christ, breathing life back into our faltering faith. It may not feel, at the end of 23... Like Christ's face is turned toward you. Feelings, they come and go. God's word remains forever. So his presence should comfort you, and his power should revitalize you. And number three, his glory should humble you. His glory should humble you. Look in verse 17. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, As though dead. Remember, all of the fears that might be going through the minds and hearts of John and these churches. The potential for experiencing persecution. John in exile, not knowing what tomorrow holds. There's a lot to be afraid of. And you may be thinking, as I look into 2024, there's a lot to be afraid of. Maybe there's been a a new diagnosis or a new reality for you, a new circumstance in life, and there's fear of what may happen. But as he sees Jesus, all of that fear crumbles, and his fear is directed toward the only one who deserves it. John is physically impacted by the weight of Jesus' glory fearfully falling down. Have you ever met someone that's famous or famous to you, maybe? And you have that feeling, like we all have these people that we put on pedestals. We post about them on social media. We post about going to their concerts. We post about all that stuff. But they carry a measure of glory for us. I remember whenever I was learning to play bass, um, bass guitar. That is not the big one that looks like this, but the one that looks like this. Um, the one that Damon just did a great job with earlier. Um, but I was learning to play bass, and a friend took me to Atlanta to see a man named Victor Wooten play bass. And if you don't know who that is, there's probably not many of you that do, but he is probably one of the greatest bass players alive. And I remember witnessing him play in a way that I didn't even know you could use the bass, and my jaw hit the floor. We've had, you know, college football coaches come to, come to Elka, and you can see everybody going, no, that is They carry a measure of glory a couple of years ago I went to a, a conference and I was with a friend and I'm looking over and I'm seeing these heavy hitter writers and theologians and just big names you would know and I'm just like there's all of them together it's like Pokemon you collect them all they're right there right and like that's there's those are the ones." And he goes, why don't you go over and say, hey. And I was like, I'm not going over there. Do you know who they are? Of course, I didn't go over there. But there's a sense of humility that overcomes us when we meet someone greater than us. We often respond to people, whether they threaten us or impress us, in ways that we should only respond to the glory of Christ. You see, a friend of mine met one of those guys at a restaurant, one of those theologians. And he said, I just had to come and meet you. And he said, this guy looked back at him and said, why? I'm just a man. We should reserve reverence and awe and fear for Christ alone. And John's fear is rightly placed. In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus tells us not to fear those who can destroy the body, but not destroy the soul, but fear the one who can throw both body and soul into a hell of fire is your fear rightly placed are we humbled before the weight of the glory of Christ see so what is your response to the knowledge that Jesus himself walks among us as we worship that Jesus is present with us he walks among his churches seeing all that we do we consider the weight and yet he chooses to walk among us. Why? Because he wants to purify his church. He wants to encourage his church to remain a faithful gospel witness as they serve and work hard for the gospel that doesn't compromise on truth and doesn't compromise with sin. He wants to comfort us with his presence. Yeah, Psalm 2 says that the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain because Christ is on the throne but not us and not you. You must walk humbly with him, trusting his hand no matter what comes your way. No matter what changes or circumstances await you in this next year, walk faithfully and humbly with God in Christ. Lastly, Jesus' authority should strengthen you. Look with me in verse 17 and 18. When I saw him... I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. If John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, who saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, saw him in glory, reclined with Jesus at the table, saw the empty tomb, fell on his face, before the exalted Christ, you can bet that you and I would do the same. Because this Jesus is pure holiness and righteousness and goodness. And we are not. This Jesus is the judge of all the earth, the judge of the living and the dead, the one who reigns above all. You remember Isaiah when he got a vision of God? Woe to me, a man of unclean lips. He was called by the Lord and was immediately aware of all of his sin. See, But you don't have to be ushered into the presence of God to be made aware of your sin. All I have to do is just mention it and raise the question, and you're probably thinking of several, maybe several instances over the past year or just this morning. Your sin is at the forefront of your mind. But now you're in front of the exalted Jesus, eyes of fire robed in glory and gold, how much more obvious would your sin be? How much more aware would you be of your sin? We would have every reason to be terrified in the presence of the glorified Jesus. And yet, in a moment that I'm sure that John had experienced multiple times, Jesus reaches out and places his hand on John and says, fear not fear not. On what basis can Jesus tell us to fear not? Like, I'll do my best, but on what basis can he tell us this? The reason is in the very next line. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. The reason we don't have to fear is because of who Jesus says he is and what he has done for us. You see, if there were any doubt that Jesus possesses the same divinity and authority as the Father, that question has been erased with the first line, I am the first and the last. In Isaiah 44, 6 through 8, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? And if there were any doubt that This was the true Jesus, the same Jesus that walked the earth. He tells John and tells us, I died and I'm alive forevermore. We don't have to fear his presence among us and we can rejoice in his presence among us or through whatever circumstances await us because through faith in his death and resurrection, we have been forgiven, assured of his love and his continued presence and now share in his death-defeating life. It doesn't get better than that. No matter what awaits you this next year, you have the death-defeating eternal life of Christ in you and waiting for you through his spirit. You have been sealed and guarded and protected and preserved till now and will be to the last days. And if there were any doubt That Jesus had the full authority to forgive you, to save you, to walk with you through whatever you will face this next year. That He says, I have the keys to death and Hades. Having the keys to something means you own it. You reign over it. You are authoritatively the owner. You have all authority to command death and Hades. And that's what Jesus says. Through my resurrection, I now own death. The last enemy, the thing that strikes fear in our hearts, the things that many may have experienced this past year and may experience this year. The worst thing you could think about, Jesus has authority over. And he has authority to carry you through. And if that doesn't give you confidence, I don't know what will. Church, this is the Jesus That we will see when he returns. This is the Jesus who reigns now. That hears your prayers. That advocates before the Father for you. This is the Jesus that reigns. And he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. If there is anything that won't change this next year, it will be him. And we can be anchored in that. No matter what is behind you or before you, Jesus is reigning over you. Be comforted by his presence, be revitalized by his power, be humbled by his glory, and be strengthened by his authority.